0: In Zechariah 4:6, God said, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. God wants us to do what we do, not by our strength and not by our power, not by trusting men, but by trusting God and working in the Holy Spirit. Scripture tells us the Holy Spirit is with us before we come to Christ, and he is in us when we receive Jesus as Lord. And there's no exception. Every believer that has become a Christian, the Holy Spirit is in you. And he comes upon you to empower you to do the work God's called you to do. One of the things that we're going to see as we make our way through the book of Acts is there is a continual filling, empowering of the Spirit. It doesn't happen only in Acts chapter 2. It happens in Acts chapter 4. And then it happens in Acts chapter 8. And then it happens in Acts chapter 10. There's a continual filling. John Corson used to say, get under the spout where the glory comes out. But don't only get under the spout where the glory comes out. Stay under the spout where the glory comes out. Let God continually empower you to do the work that God's called you to do because we are the light of the world. We are the salt of the earth. We've been given the keys to the kingdom. And it's been promised that the gates of hell will not prevail against us. Now, as we make our way through the book of Acts, we're going to see that God used the ministry of Jesus to provide salvation and then began to build a church in Jerusalem and took it all the way around the world. Acts opens up in Jerusalem and ends in Rome. And it's an open-ended ending. It doesn't have a formal ending. And some have pointed out that because God's still doing his work. The, the church is still going on. Uh, that's why the, the, you know, they didn't wrap up the end of the book. Because we are continuing on what was done there. It covers a 30-year span. And the gospel goes all around the world through the power of the Holy Spirit in 30 years. 30 years from the time Christ is crucified and resurrected until the gospel is even in Rome, all around the known world. That's a very short amount of time, and it is very powerful. Now, let's take a look at the first few verses, see what we can glean from it. Acts chapter 1, verse 1. The former account I made, O Theopolis. The former account would be the book of Luke. The writer of Luke in Acts is Luke. Luke is a physician who is a traveling companion of Paul, we find him joining Paul in the middle of this book when it goes from, as, as Luke's writing it, and they went here and they did this too, and we went here and we did this. He doesn't stop and go, and this is where I joined them and we began. He just goes from them and they to we and us, and it's a change of pronouns that's proper. The proper change of pronouns found in the book of Acts. It says, a former account I made, O Theopolis, now look at the word Theophilus. If you have been in Bible studies for a while, you're going to be able to identify what the name Theophilus means in Greek. It's a Greek name. It's got two words in it. The, philis, Theophilus. Theo is God. And philis comes from phileo, a friend of God, a lover of God. That's what Theophilus means. This probably is someone who Luke knows, maybe his owner, uh, doctors in their day We're owned by wealthy people who would help the people around them. Uh, Today, we're owned by the doctors. That's a joke, by the way. If you're a doctor, really happy to have you here. The real truth is, is that both the doctors and the patients are owned by the insurance companies. That's the real truth, right? But um, Luke was a doctor, and the Greek you find in Luke and in Acts is the highest Greek you find in the New Testament. And... His scholarship in his, in, as a historian is second to none. It's really good work as a historian. In fact, where you find Josephus and Luke disagreeing, Luke has been found to be more accurate than Josephus. Josephus was a good historian. Luke was a better historian than Josephus. So he says, the former account, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began to do, and to teach until the day which I was, he was taken up after he through the Holy Spirit had given them commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen. So he says, the former account is Luke that I wrote to you and about all Jesus did and said and how he gave commands, which was go into all the world, baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teach them to do everything that I command you. Right, that's the commands he gave. Then he was taken up to them. Then in verse two, To whom he was also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Note that he talks about being seen by people as an infallible proof. Why was it infallible? Because they could talk to people who saw him. Remember, within 50 days of the resurrection, 3,000 people get saved at Pentecost. They, they, they've heard, they're in Jerusalem. They've heard of Jesus appearing to people in Jerusalem. And in a courtroom, there is no stronger evidence than you can have than an, a, a solid eyewitness that can stand up under cross-examination. Evidence, video evidence, uh, scientific evidence can all be manipulated and questioned. But if you can't tear an eyewitness down on cross-examination, that is the most powerful evidence you have. No wonder, he says, infallible proofs, Jesus appearing to people around them. We know, and I'm talking from secular New Testament scholars, we know Jesus existed, was crucified under Pontius Pilate, and on the third day, the tomb was empty. Here, just recently on our YouTube page, we had somebody come on and troll kind of a way and say, You guys are so silly believing in a myth that Jesus was really somebody when there's no, and he starts going, There's, there's no historian who ever talked about him, there's no evidence. And I got, I'm tired of arguing with these internet mythicists who go against their own secular scholars and, 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 and disagree with what they're saying. So I simply wrote, You're wrong. You're wrong. <laughs> and I said, Don't take my word for it. Uh, go look at the evidence because the evidence is out there to which he responded back with no I'm right so it was just it's just it's this playground kind of banter going on but the truth is there is so much evidence for the existence the crucifixion under Pontius Pilate and the empty tomb that those things are a solid fact and all you've got to do, you can go to secular people like Bart Ehrman, who's a huge critic, critic of, the, uh, of Christianity, and he will tell you that these three things are true. Uh, he may begin to have waffled on the empty tomb now, um, but he still talks about Jesus being a real person crucified under Pontius Pilate, and he's got to give some explanation for how these disciples planted a church, a church so quickly and within 50 days that many people came to christ all right so we go to verse four and being assembled together with them he commanded them not to depart from jerusalem but wait for the promise of the father now he has just told them meeting them in galilee go into all the world now he's back in jerusalem with them he's actually over the mount of olives on beth in bethany and he says to them stay here so which is it go or stay well it's go but stay first because you have to wait for the equipping It's like when you, when you join the army, and you get a commission to go somewhere, you're going to have to go get equipped, I assume. I'm not, was never in the army, or one of the armed forces, but I believe they're going to equip you before they send you. So you're going to go here, but first go and be equipped. And so you go and you get your, you know, whatever it is that you need. So he's going to equip them with the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me, for John truly baptized you with water but he shall baptize you with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Look at the two words baptize there. It means immersed. That's what baptism means, immersed. One of them is water baptism and one of them is a baptism in the Holy Spirit. Being immersed in the Holy Spirit. And I say that because there are those who will say every time baptism is used in the New Testament, it's speaking of water baptism. And these are the people that teach baptismal regeneration That you're saved when you're baptized in their own words the miracle of regeneration happens when you're baptized it's not true and baptism here right here you see it baptized in water and baptized in the Holy Spirit the word baptized simply means immersed and sometimes in the New Testament it's talking about water baptism and sometimes it's talking about a different kind of baptism being baptized into the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit that's not water baptism that's the baptism of the Holy Spirit He goes on to say, You will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. What does he mean? Acts chapter 2. When they're in the upper room and the Holy Spirit comes upon them and and tongues of fire, whatever that is, is on their head, right? And we'll get to that event here in a couple of weeks. And uh, so he says, Wait here, you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, Say, Now here's the distraction. Lord, will this, uh, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? So they want to know about the last days. We can become unduly obsessed with the last days. The Bible teaches it. We talk about it. We're studying the book of Revelation now. But we are not to stop doing the work. In a parable, Jesus said, occupy until I come. So just do the work. God knows the day he's returning. So how does Jesus respond to this little sidetrack for them? This is the disciples going, Squirrel. He's like, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. When are you going to restore the kingdom? They're just totally out of the the spot now. And so he says to them in verse 7, and he said to them, it is not for, for you to know the time or the seasons that the Father has put under his own authority. They're a long ways away from the return of Christ. We're seeing what the Bible says the last days will look like much more in our time. And we better be aware of that. But... And, but it's still, we're to occupy until we come, he comes. And we don't know when he returns. No man knows. And it's not just the day or the hour. And people will say, well, we'll know the two days. We'll know the week. We don't know the day or an hour. To which I say, "Shutty." Verse 8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Now, that, yes, you will receive power. Verse 8. God wants to empower you. He's going to come alongside of you and give you what you need to be able to be a witness for him, to be the light, to be the salt. You are not left alone. He's equipping you. He's called you to go and make disciples and now he's going to give you power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Note that word upon. It's the Greek epi and it means to come upon. He's with us when before we're saved. He's in us when we become Christians and he comes upon us to empower us. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. That is an outline for the book of Acts. It starts in Jerusalem, it goes to Judea, then to Samaria in chapter 8, and then the ends of the world and ends in Rome. It's, It's a sign of how our lives work we get saved and we start ministering to people closest to us and then a little further out in our Judea and then in our Samaria and then wherever God calls us and gives us the ability, the call, the power to be able to share with people around us. We are his disciples. We are doing the work that God's called us to do. Now, before we continue on in the text, let's consider the work of the Holy Spirit within and upon. And I want to start by just covering quickly Who the Holy Spirit is it's a he he is a he not an it he is not a force he is a person and he is a person of the Godhead which is one in essence and three in persons this is the Trinity and again there are people who will say well the Bible never uses the word Trinity but the Bible never uses the word Bible so you're using you know you're saying something to try to say something that's clearly taught in Scripture The attributes that are given to the Ancient of Days, God the Father, are also given to the Son and are also given to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is called God in the Bible. The Son is called God in the Bible. And the Father is called God in the Bible. And these three make up one who is God. And you see this complexity all the way back in the Old Testament. Very early on, there's this complexity of God. The angel of the Lord speaking to Moses from the burning bush, talks about God and God. Enough to where when you read it, you're like, what? Same thing when he's talking to Gideon. He talks to Gideon about God, then he receives a sacrifice from Gideon. Jesus was worshiped by Thomas. We see this all throughout it. The Holy Spirit is brought up in the second verse of the Bible, where it says the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the water or the face of the water. In Genesis one twenty six, we have the first place where we find the complexity of God. That God is, 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 is different than us. In verse uh, one twenty six, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our own image according to our own likeness. Did you get the, the, the concept of more than one in one? and God and Elohim said let us make man in our own image according to our own likeness this can't be a heavenly counsel as some like to say that God was was gaining from because he says let us make the ones who are there have to create let us make man in our own image by our own likeness and then it goes on to say let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over the cattle over all of the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Here we go. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. You go from the us and are to the he, and, and to the he and he. That he made them, in, in he and his. He made them in his own image. That's the complexity of God in chapter 1. And you find that throughout the Old Testament. Before COVID hit, we were doing a series entitled The Complexity of God where we were making our way through the Old Testament looking at all of the passages that speak of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit as being one, not in the New Testament, but in the Old Testament. We bailed out of it when COVID hit and we will return to it at some point. Um, In Isaiah 61, remember this is the passage Jesus read in Nazareth and then sat down and said, Today these things are fulfilled in your hearing and they wanted to kill him. Here we see the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit together. And there's several passages that do this in the Old Testament. This is Isaiah 61, 1 and 2. The Spirit of the Lord, there's the Holy Spirit, the Lord God is the Father, is upon me. The me is Jesus. And in Hebrews 1.8, it says, To the Son, he said, God, your God, has anointed you. So Hebrews 1.8, God calls the Son of God, God. So you have the Spirit of God, the Lord God, and me, which would be Jesus, because the Lord has anointed me to preach the gospel of good tidings. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted and to proclaim liberty to the captives, and so on and so forth. Then he sits down and says, today this is fulfilled in your hearing. I'm the anointed one. He is the Son of God, who is God. Later on, by the way, when Caiaphas says, are you the Son of God? He says, I am. And again, the Son of God in Hebrews 1.8 is called God. So we we clearly see that taught in the Bible. So the Holy Spirit is a person. He has a will, the Bible says. He has a mind. and And he can be grieved. He has emotions. And we have the Holy Spirit come upon us and in us. Now the first thing that we find is that the Holy Spirit is with us before we come to Christ. In John 14, 16 through 17, it says, And I will pray the Father... And he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Now he's saying this to the disciples. Why didn't the disciples have the Holy Spirit in them yet? Because they are still in the Old Testament time. Later on, it will say that he had not given them the Holy Spirit because he had not yet been glorified. So they are going to have the Holy Spirit in them. This happens in John 20. It's the very end of the book of John. John twenty twenty two, And when he had said this, and this is a weird, a weird occurrence, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So Jesus gathers the 12 together and then breathes on them. Which if you're one of the 12, you might be like, it's a weird moment. But remember the word for spirit in the Bible is pneuma, which is breath, And Jesus breathes on them, says, receive the Holy Spirit, which is coming from him and the Father. And so there they receive it, and now he is in them. He had been with them up until that point. However, in John 16, 7 and 8, we learn something about the work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, this is in the upper room still, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage I go away. For if I go away, the helper will come to you. But if I depart, he will send him to you. And when he comes, he, the Holy Spirit, will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. So when the Holy Spirit comes, it's gonna be in you, but it's gonna convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Now, how does that happen? In John 7, we learn. This is the great day of the feast, and Jesus stands up, John 7, 37 through 39. On the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come unto me and drink. He who believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. If you believe in Jesus, out of your heart flows rivers of living water. But thus he spoke of the Holy, of, concerning the Spirit, whom the believing in him would receive, for the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. So when you receive the Holy Spirit out of your heart, in the spiritual realm, the Spirit flows into the lives of people around you and convicts them of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. And this is why I say be bold. Be ready to share, as as the Bible tells us. Be ready in season and out of season to give an answer for the hope that is within you because God's at work outside of you. The Holy Spirit is working with you. And I've, I've, I've learned this to be true in my own life. That as I live and I interact with non-Christians, I'm just waiting for a door to be opened where I can share with them. I had a, a Jewish gentleman just ask me a passing question. What, what's going on in the world today? How does God feel about what's going on in the world today? To which I could say, well, God's going to work with the Jewish people again. You're Jewish and God's going to work with you guys again. And I was able to talk. And he got a lot more than he had bargained for. <laughs> I finally had to go. I- I'm going to stop now. But it was just an open door. It's just like you. all of a sudden you get the open door because the Holy Spirit is convicting of sin, of righteousness, and judgment all around you. Now, that's the Holy Spirit with the world. He is inside of every believer. This is a really important point. He's inside of every believer. The church that is like the the Presbyterian church that don't get too into worship, they're wearing a suit and tie, and they're worshiping God, the Holy Spirit is inside of them. The Pentecostal church got tambourines and flags flying around, and they're worshiping God, the Holy Spirit is inside of them. And, and, hey, I spent a lot of time in Charismatic and Pentecostal churches. As a teenager, I went to extreme Charismatic churches. I went to one church, you would open the front door and start having to stepping over people who were slain in the Spirit. Because that was going on a lot and I was in extreme Pentecostal churches that did weird things that really shouldn't be done. But I also was in especially one solid four-square church, which was a Pentecostal church, and they were solid. It didn't mean there weren't any weirdnesses, because there were. There was one lady, after the third or fourth song of every service, would would give give a tongues in a high-pitched voice, and when I invited people to go to church with me, I had to tell them, you're going to hear this lady, it's going to be weird, it's going to be like, Wee! and when that happens, just know, it's what I'm telling you about. And then the interpretation was always something like, God is going to use Chowwood Park Four Square Church in the most powerful way any church has ever been. But the Bible says, when we speak in tongues, 1 Corinthians 14, verses 1 and 2, when we speak in tongues, it's our spirit speaking mysteries to God so a proper interpretation would be we praise you lord i praise you i lift you up so they were giving a prophecy and the thing about prophecy is we're not supposed to despise it but we judge it so when someone comes up to me after a church service and i get this fairly often and they say god told me to tell you and they give me a prophecy i say thank you for sharing it i'm going to judge it now and they're always like what i what i speak is the truth and i'm like hey god told us to he said let one prophesy and let the others judge and so there's a judgment that's supposed to take place but it also says don't despise it so when someone gives me a prophecy i want to receive it and go okay that may be true let me go and look at it and see if it is and there have been prophecies i have received and ones i have rejected ones i have rejected almost immediately as recognizing that this is not from god now the holy spirit is in you when you become a christian this is acts 2 38 this is the altar call of the first sermon ever preached and 3,000 people get saved from this. And Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the Holy Spirit. You repent, you believe, you receive the Holy Spirit. First Corinthians twelve thirteen. For by one Spirit we were baptized into one body, whether Jew or Greeks, whether slave or free, and have all been made to drink of one Spirit. So he says, no matter, you're a slave, you're free, you're a Jew, you're a Greek, the Holy Spirit is inside of you. First Corinthians 12, 3 says, therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed. means a genuine Christian isn't going to curse God. And no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Doesn't mean that a non-believer can't mimic the words Jesus is Lord, there I just disproved your Bible. It means you can't say it genuinely. The Holy Spirit has to be with you And it's enough for salvation, by the way. And then the Holy Spirit moves in you. So that if if you are a Christian, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says. You have the Spirit of God inside of you. Now think about that. You're standing next to someone who's a non-believer. They don't have the Holy Spirit inside of them. You have the Holy Spirit inside of you. No wonder the Bible says that we are no longer a slave to sin. Our relationship with sin has changed. No wonder the Bible says there is a way of escape provided out of sin. No wonder the Bible talks about the leading and the guiding of the Holy Spirit. All of these are true for all of us as Christians. But there's one more experience. And here's where you will have the Presbyterians differ from the Pentecostals. The Presbyterians will say God no longer works by empowering people by the Holy Spirit. The Pentecostals say, God's empowering us all the time to do the work that God's called us to do. And here we lean, and the scriptures teach, more in the area of the Pentecostal. Although I want to give you a warning. That, you know, the Bible says in the latter days, men are going to teach up uh, heap up teachers who will tickle their ears. That's what teach up means. He, he, heap up teachers who will tickle their ears. I just said teach up. I don't know what that means. And there is an arm of the Pentecostal movement... That's teaching lies. God wants you healthy and wealthy. The New Age movement is creeping in. Bethel is leading down some of these ways now. you got to be very careful. I don't want to discourage you, if you. And if you're watching this online and you're in a charismatic or Pentecostal church, I'm not saying this is every Pentecostal and charismatic church. I think that's important to understand. I believe that, that the differences that they hold, and we do have them with them, the differences that they hold are not major but they can enter into these major where they start talking about the New Age movement. They start talking about spirit guides and they start talking about the things that you find in the New Age movement. And then it's time to reject that. It's time to say that is not what Christianity is. Now, you may say, well, you talk about charismatics, but isn't Calvary Chapel charismatic? Yes, we are charismatic. We are part of the charismatic movement, but we are charismatics with our seat belts on. <laughs> we, wanna, we want to be under control, The Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. And I got that from somebody, by the way, not original material, all right? I got that from someone else. But that is what we want to be. We want to be charismatics with our seatbelt on. Because the Bible says when the Spirit comes, He will lead you into all truth. And that means I don't need anything that's outside of the Bible. The Bible says in 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17, all scripture is given by the inspiration of God. It's profitable for reproof, for correction, for doctrine, that the man of God could be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That means I have everything I need for the good works God's given me. I don't have to go to the New Age movement or to the the positive um, motivational speaking movement within the church, the self help Jesus movement, or any of the, the, the prosperity teaching movement. I don't have to go to any of that. It's not in the Bible. So the Holy Spirit will lead you into truth. And you have the responsibility to not be deceived. Jesus said, take heed that no one deceives you. There's no guarantee you won't be deceived you have to make sure you're not deceived there's self deception sin is deceptive so you have to make sure you're not deceived now how does the holy spirit come upon us jesus said you'll receive power when the holy spirit comes upon you in acts chapter 2 we see it happen but we see it happen again in acts chapter 4 when they're threatened to be flogged peter and 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 john are threatened to be flogged because they're preaching in the name of jesus they gather together all of the, the believers and they say to them, or they gather together, some of the believers, and they, they tell them what happened, and then they pray. It's a great prayer. Lord, you created the heavens and the earth. Consider their threats and give us boldness. If I were praying it, I'd, be, I'd start off with, Lord, don't let them flog us openly don't, and, and consider their threats. And you created the world and give us boldness. I'd added that. They didn't. And then it says in Acts 4.31, after that prayer, this is af- after Acts chapter 2, where they originally received the Holy Spirit, Acts 4.31 says, and then they prayed and the place where they were assembled was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God with boldness. Well, wait a minute. I thought they received the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. Peter was definitely there. Well, now he receives the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 4. Yes, because it's not really a second experience of the Holy Spirit. It's a third and a fourth and a fifth. We see the Holy Spirit coming in Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 8, when the Samaritans received the gospel, Acts chapter 10, when the Gentiles received the gospel, and so on and so forth throughout the book of of Acts. The, the, The word Holy Spirit is used far more in the book of Acts than anywhere else. It's a sign of God working with the Holy Spirit and it coming upon us. Now let's look at the rest of our text, verse 9. Now when they had spoken these things, while they were watching, he was taken up, and a cloud received him. So he told them these things, and now he floats up in the air, and a cloud receives him out of sight. And while they looked steadfastly towards the heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? So they watched him go up. And they're probably like, you see him anymore? I think so. Maybe not. Maybe not. Angels are like, well, he's going to look up here forever? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. He's going to return. And the Bible tells us Jesus is going to return. And there are groups today who are teaching that he will not. And this is important. Our earliest creeds, the Apostle Creed, has that Jesus is going to return to judge the living and the dead. And the earliest creeds, which were the early church trying to get a handle on what was essential and what wasn't essential. And it is essential to believe that Jesus will return to judge the living and the dead. Now, (coughs) excuse me, three things in closing. Number one, the world around you is influenced by the Holy Spirit because he flows out of you, your family and friends. (coughs) Excuse me, this may be very well why they get annoyed with you. You know, we'll hit you preaching all the time when you're not preaching all the time because God's moving in their lives so look for those opportunities to share <clears throat> number two John sixteen thirteen says the spirit will lead you into all truth so people use the Holy Spirit to bring aberrant teachings into the church <clears throat> not every one of the churches that believe in the gift of the Holy Spirit but some of them do be aware of that and don't be deceived Use the word of God as your guideline and don't let someone bring you something that's not in the word of God. And even if you've been blessed by it, you've heard someone teach and you've been blessed by it. And then you find out they're teaching something that is aberrant. Where, and then you get mad when someone says that person is teaching a false teaching. I'm just going to ask you, where does your loyalty lie? Does it lie in a, in a preacher? Any preacher? Or does it lie with God? And if anyone says something that is different than God and starts teaching something aberrant, then they need to be rejected. <coughs> All right? And that's to, to me too. If I start teaching something that is aberrant from the scriptures and, and solid Christianity, then reject it. Even though you might have been ministered to by me, maybe, one, or one or two of you. But have your loyalty be to God. Number three, pray to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Pray that Jesus said, if you being evil... Did you ever notice that he kind of called us evil there? Just kind of threw it in? If you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So ask him. And since you already have the Holy Spirit, we're talking about the empowering of the Holy Spirit. You can be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Stand with me, would you? And let's pray together. Father, we want to thank you for the opportunity that we have to be able to study your word here. How it is so full and rich in truth. And Lord, we pray that you would indeed help us to have a good understanding of the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit does. And we thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.